Hello, welcome to Weathersnap. It's Friday the 7th of October and I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Adam McGiven. Today we're discussing some of the reasons southwest Nepal right now is experiencing heavy rainfall. And when I say heavy rain, I'm talking about half a metre's worth of rain in just a few days. Now that's almost as much as Cambridge gets in a whole year. Closer to home, the dynamics that are causing the intense rain across the UK through Friday and, of course, the weekend outlook. And there's even mention of a Hovmüller, Aidan. Now, last time I uttered that word, we brushed it aside. It wasn't really part of the conversation. Uh, but yes, we did mention it on this very, very show. And I suspect we don't have time to go into the details yet again today. Sadly not today. We might have to do a special <laughs> podcast on it uh, by unpopular demand. Just very briefly to sum it up, a Hovmoller is a combination of a map and a graph. So if you like maps, if you like graphs, you'll love the Hovmoller. This time, though, it's our very own Professor Adam Scaife who has put it on the radar. And he was the one who uttered that word at the end of a recorded conversation I had with him yesterday on another mind-bending topic. It's a concept about how Earth's winds can change the rate of spin of the planet. So I'm going to let you chew that one over because we'll listen to some of that conversation later. All eyes this week are on the northern part of India and western Nepal as so much rain is falling due to the relentless heavy rains. Total rainfall levels are expected to reach 500 millimetres in just 60 hours or so. Now, this period of intense showers and thunderstorms developed in the region from around midweek. It's lasting until the weekend with some extremely high daily rainfall accumulations signalled. 200 millimetres in one day, event totals perhaps exceeding 600 millimetres in places. Now, we really should be out of the monsoon season across this part of the world, but we're not. The last throes of the southwest monsoon are being felt. It's not good. It really isn't. Half a metre of rain has impacts. And in fact, the monthly average for October across the western side of Nepal is only around 50 millimetres. So expecting 10 times that amount it must be very scary for the locals. Now, this part of Nepal is actually drier than the other part, central and eastern areas. But even in the last month, it has been incredibly wet. I was in Nepal just last week filming in the middle part of the country um, in a province called Kanali. But two weeks earlier, the region just to the west of me had been inundated with rain, causing landslides and killing over 80 people. This region is mountainous and communities are living on the front line of climate change. And extreme weather events like this, the terrain, the people just can't cope with it. This event looks like it's caused by a very warm plume. It could be the remnants of ex-typhoon Noru. And it's being engaged by some forcing from an upper trough. So that's a low pressure at the top of the lower part of the atmosphere, the troposphere. And that causes the air to rise and that very moist air that's rising is also forced up by the mountains, causing slow moving rains. And there is this suggestion of one in five or one in 20 year floods this week. And that rain is expected to extend into next week as well. Now, you said you were out in Nepal filming. You were learning about how farmers are fighting back from these types of episodes, weren't you? I travelled to some rural communities where they're embracing regenerative methods of farming. 
it's fascinating what they're doing and it's incredible to watch really. So they call it permaculture and that's pretty much just using indigenous plants and perennials, reducing chemical fertilizers, using more traditional methods of enhancing soils by, you know, tapping into cow's wee uh, for fertilizer, animal dung as manure. It's no brainers really. And then replanting with trees and adding a mix of crops that not only increase the soil strength, and the vitality, but also enhance resilience when bad weather strikes. And, you know, it's not just about too much rain, although when I was there, it was really wet. And when the rain, when the heavens open, honestly, Aidan, it's just inundates the region. Now, these farmers live on these steep slopes of the foothills of the Himalayas. The terrain is very soily. There's quite a lot of rubble and rock. Um, and any heavy overload of water can just push that that load down the mountain. And I witnessed landslides when I was there. But it's not just about the rain. It's also about during the dry season, it can get too dry. They do rely on the monsoonal rains for the whole year and for their crop yields. And dry weather can sometimes lead to wildfires. And Nepal was in the news just last year for these extensive wildfires. But some positive results already from this adoption of uh, permaculture. They are really seeing a difference in terms of good yields because the soil is more healthy. Cash crops, things like chilies, sell very well at markets and a real greater sense of confidence about future harvest because even though there's so much uncertainty about global warming and its impacts and Nepal you know, their their contribution to greenhouse gas emissions is negligible compared with the Western Hemisphere. There are some signs that the, the land is fighting back and is becoming more resilient, going in the right direction. The UN is doing some really good work out there with local initiatives, and it was a real privilege to spend some time with the farmers there. That's brilliant. So it's good for the farmers and it's good for the planet as well. Your film is part of a UN series that will be aired on the build-up to COP27. So, uh, yeah, that'll be really interesting to watch out for. Now, let's head closer to home, where the beginning of October has brought an active jet stream, not unusual, of course, for October, and for many spells of wind and rain. Friday is one of those days. Heavy showers, gusty winds, and even some line convection. Yeah, tell me about line convection, Aidan. So this essentially, it's a weather front that's crossing the UK. And first thing to note is that line convection shows up really clearly on a radar as an active line of rain crossing the country. And you'll notice it when it goes through. That's the thing about line convection. It's one of those where suddenly the heavens open, the wind really pits up. Everyone takes notice when this weather comes through. Only lasts for 15, 20 minutes, this very, very lively weather. Then suddenly it all clears, the winds go down, the skies brighten, the rain stops, but notably as well, the temperature falls because this is associated with an active cold front. So line convection is essentially just rising air. So we get convection in all sorts of forms in meteorology, but this is where it's organised in a line. And with this rising air, you get this burst of heavy rain, you get these gusty winds that are caused by the turbulence of the rising air in the atmosphere, and then it's all over. It moves through quickly, and boom, it's a, a different season out there. Yeah, it's fascinating, actually. The computer models have been picking up on it quite significantly over the last few days with this front. We'll hear more about your forecast in a while, actually. Um, interestingly, 
the teleconnection forecast, which is almost like the bigger picture of the global drivers, which influences local weather, is fascinating right now. In particular, La Nina is going to remain strong for the rest of the year and continue into next year, which is quite incredible considering we've had a La Nina episode now for the last two years or so, which has influenced our weather. And we'll find out more about how it's been influenced our weather in a moment. But just let's just backtrack for a moment. And there's some really interesting pages on the Met Office website about El Nino and La Nina. So El Nino is the opposite of La Nina. They're both sort of phenomenon which happen locally along the eastern side of the Pacific, western side of South America. And La Nina means the girl. It's when sea surface temperatures fall below the average around three to five degrees. So much, much colder. And I don't know whether you've ever swam in the waters off, say, the coasts of Chile, Aidan. Um, I have. It is always cold because of the Humboldt current. Even colder when you get a La Nina. And it does dry than average weather across this sort of side of the of South America, but it casts an absolutely incredible and broad influence across the rest of the world. So the Climate Prediction Centre or NOAA um, have said that yeah, La Nina is going to continue right the way through this winter, twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, slowly decreasing as we head towards March time, twenty twenty three. And the World Meteorological Organization has stated that this is the first time we've seen a triple dip La Nina event in the 21st century. So what that means is actually the the waters got colder three times during um, a space of around three years. So what does this mean? Well, in fact, the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia have suggested now that Sydney is going towards its wettest year on record, citing La Nina. And La Nina increases the chance of heavy and more rainfall across the northern and eastern parts of Australia during its spring and summer months. So that's a watch this space. And for Western Europe, this phase of the Enzo or La Nina tends to promote higher pressure regimes across Western Europe in autumn. So Aidan, are there any indications that this is going to happen? It tends to lead to higher pressure and also the increased risk of cold snaps in early winter. But it's just one of many different teleconnections that affect the the weather in Western Europe. So we're not as affected by La Nina as, say, Australia and South America. But it is something that can have an influence. And, And it's interesting to see that things are starting to settle down, at least in the south and east through the weekend, whether that's related to... La Nina or whether it's related to uh, other factors it would be impossible to say but it, it does look like through the next few days after that very lively weather on Friday higher pressure will build from the south at the start of this weekend now that will lead to a chilly start for many of us on Saturday morning but actually Saturday for most looks dry and bright there'll be sunny spells it's not going to be especially warm I think temperatures will be around average on Saturday low to mid-teens in the north, mid to high teens further south. Now, Saturday night, with those lighter winds and the clear skies, will be another fairly chilly one. Temperatures in the low single figures in some sheltered spots as we start off Sunday. And Sunday starts off bright for most. It's a dry start for the vast majority. But towards the northwest, the next spell of wind and rain arrives during the day. Quite an active feature and perhaps some coastal gales developing in the northwest of Scotland. And that will sweep south during Monday. 
easing as it pushes southwards and runs into that area of high pressure that is further south. And then the ridge builds once again on Tuesday and Wednesday. So actually there is a fair amount of dry weather expected over the next few days, especially if you're in the south. Let's just get back to La Nina again. And I know I've been talking about it, but it is really interesting. And it did actually come up in conversation when I interviewed Professor Adam Scaife earlier this week. Now, his latest scientific paper was published on Monday with an impressive title. It's called Long Range Predictability of Extratropical Climate and the Length of Day. Can we just strip that back and explain what you were looking at and how it affects the length of the day? It relates the spin of the Earth, so obviously that controls the length of the day, to climate prediction. And it kind of puts together two topics which at first sight you probably think are unrelated. So the length of day undergoes quite small fluctuations from month to month or year to year, just a millisecond, you know, tiny, one thousandth of a second. But what we've shown is that the process that gives rise to the changes in the length of day also gives rise to changes in regional climate. So how does that one thing impact the other? If you look at Isaac Newton's laws, then they tell us that the spin of a body, which doesn't have a force or a torque acting on it, has to be constant and it's conserved. So if we imagine the Earth and its atmosphere floating in space, there's no torque, no rotational force. And therefore, the total spin of those two absolutely has to be constant, unarguable. No scientist with any sense could argue against that. So we know that's absolutely true. And so if the atmosphere spins up and becomes more westerly, if the winds get stronger, the Earth must slow down, in which case the day gets longer. So that's how they're connected. And this is well known, Claire. This has been known for a long time, this relationship. It's the fact that this is related to long range forecasting and some really interesting atmospheric processes that we've uncovered in this paper. What could we see? What evidence would there be in front of our eyes or in terms of even if it's absolutely tiny? In terms of the effects of the Earth spinning down, that's been observed for many decades using astronomical measurements. So those observations have been made for many decades. And what we did was use those observations to look for, or rather we tried to predict those observations uh, using our weather and climate model. Because when these fluctuations happen and you look at the weather and climate, the first thing you see is in the tropics, the winds spin up or spin down. So you get big change in the winds at about 20 north or 20 south. So that's the first thing we see when there's a change in the length of day. Often that's triggered by things like El Nino and La Nina. So when we have an El Nino, the jets, the subtropical jets around 20 north, 20 south, they spin up. When we have a La Nina, they spin down. So this means that an El Nino is associated with an increase in the length of day. So we're talking about high level winds here, which actually have an impact. So this is global. We're talking global winds rather than something which That's is far right. more localised. You're talking about observations out in space, but does it have any, could we see any effects here on Earth? So you get this change in the spin of the atmosphere, for example, when an El Nino occurs, and then there's this remarkably slow process that kicks in 
and this change in the winds migrates polewards out of the tropics towards the mid latitudes where we are and it takes a whole year to get there sometimes longer so one of the exciting things about this is that it demonstrates that there are processes internal to the atmosphere that have really long-term memory these processes are predictable so we've shown that these migrating signatures that go towards the extratropics in each hemisphere are predictable out to a year or two ahead, as indeed is the total spin and therefore the length of day. Professor Adam Scaife talking to me earlier about how strong winds can slow down Earth's spin and vice versa. More details on the paper can be found on the Met Office website. Now let's head to Martin Bowles, who has last week's highs and lows. Here are the UK weather extremes for last week, beginning on Monday the 26th of September and finishing on Sunday the 2nd of October. The highest temperature of the week was 20.2 degrees Celsius at Merrifield in Somerset on Saturday. The lowest temperature was minus 0.8 Celsius, which was measured at Kielder Castle in Northumberland early on Tuesday. The largest daily rainfall was 50.2 millimetres at Capelcurig in Gwynedd, North Wales, on Friday. That's about two inches in imperial measurements. The sunniest spot was Weybourne in Norfolk, where 10.6 hours of sunshine were recorded on Saturday. Thanks very much, Aidan, today for your conversation. And thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir, and I'll see you next week. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.